we are both really gentle with each other and generous, you know, so we don't hang on to uh, an idea. Yeah, I think, yeah, the mutual respect. And we, I remember we made a decision when we were starting to write together that no judgment. Hello and welcome, everybody. My name is Will Chernoff, and you're listening to the Rhythm Changes podcast, a home for creative, improvising, local music people. This show is an ongoing, open-ended conversation series with folks who make their community fun and prosperous. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to follow this feed wherever you get your podcasts and visit us at our website, rhythmchanges.ca. Our two guests today are a musical and married couple who have just made their first album. The album is titled You and I, and they released it on November 19th, 2021. They are a duo called Wild Blue Herons, and their name comes from the self-reliant, wise, and patient bird that appears around their current home city of Port Moody. That's where we are today, because for this episode, they invited me into their music room where they recorded the album You and I. In the duo... You'll hear how wonderful of a match they are, a vocalist who has a background in gospel, music ministry, and music education, with a piano player who has exemplified the career of a session musician across many decades. Their next gig in Vancouver is at Frankie's on Sunday, December 5th, 2021. You can find them at wildblueherons.com and at wildblueherons on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you sign up for their emails, sometimes they'll even send you cooking recipes. So please welcome to the Rhythm Changes podcast, Darlene Cooper and Bill Sample. Glad to be here. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) How are you feeling today? Good. Good. Are we good? Yeah. Yeah, we're good. I guess the first thing that I would love to ask you both about is a project that I know you both do together, and there's a common collaborator there. Can you talk about the work that you and Bill have both done together in the Marcus Mosley Chorale? Yes, we, uh, the Marcus Mosley Chorale started in 2011. At that time, it was Marcus and Bill and Lonnie Delisle were the three uh, directors of it. And I had been uh, working, um, directing a music program at a college. Black gospel music was kind of what I was brought up in in my teens. I'd heard of Marcus, and so I decided to join the choir as an outlet to sing that that style of music again. So I joined as an alto, actually. And then two years later, uh, Lonnie left to take the directorship of the Universal Choir, uh, Universal Gospel Choir. And at that time, Bill and Marcus were going to try to carry on, and I offered to help out. Bill had... Uh, you'd, you'd had gospel connections from way back. Yeah, we do, uh, we being Darlene and Marcus and I, we do a gospel workshop. We've done it about, I don't know, maybe a dozen times now. And the way we start the workshop is to say, what is our connection to gospel music? And mine truly comes from my home. My uh, parents, uh, both great musicians, and they listened to a lot of Mahalia Jackson, who I didn't connect with right away, uh, she's a little bit more old school, but then when they started like listening to a lot of Aretha Franklin, 
that was like right in my wheelhouse. And uh, I always say on these workshops, my dad would put on Amazing Grace by Aretha Franklin. It's the 10 or 12 minute version. And we had to listen to it before we could have Christmas dinner. <laughs> and uh, it was always really emotional. My dad would cry, you know, and we just got used to, well, this is this is the coolest thing, this expressive black music, you know. And I listened to so much Aretha, it just became part of my language. Yeah. Later on in my career, I ended up doing a fair amount of work with Ray Charles, who was a regular on the uh, the Variety Club Telethon, I was the music director of. So Ray would come up every year. He was on that show. And he didn't always play with the band, but when he did, we were delighted and got to rehearse with him, provide him with a uh, keyboard that he needed and so forth. A lot of great Ray stories too. And then you worked with Leon Bibb for many years as well. Yeah, I wouldn't call Leon a gospel singer at all. He was more sort of that kind of... Um, folk music that came out of the resistance in the States. So he, he was really good friends with uh, Odetta, Pete Seeger, uh, Harry Belafonte, and that crowd. It's not really jazz, not really uh, gospel. It's kind of some kind of hip folk music. Yeah. It's interesting how you're saying it doesn't map exactly to, to gospel or or even to jazz or or to the folk and rock music of the 60s, but like the social message and the movement around the music, right? And that kind of brought together all the genres into where it did all make sense together, right? Yeah. And that's definitely in the Marcus Mosley Corral, there's there's the um, the gospel tradition uh, that Marcus grew up with. And his mom actually, uh, she worked plantation and he remembers when he was just very little, she would sing and he would be there with her. So he came from that whole tradition and also has the aspect of the social conscience, um, the heart and soul to the music. Yeah. So knowing all that and knowing that you're presenting your new album, You and I, as a collection inspired by great women of jazz, that plus these things that we've talked about in relation to Marcus, to feel, if somebody wanted to feel what inspired you in general while you were making this album? What else should they go listen to? Oh, well, Nancy Wilson, Nancy Wilson comes to mind. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> She's kind of become our favorite singer. Just so happens that my very first jazz record that I ever got was Cannibal Adderley Live. And he had two guests just were in the room and they showed up and did a tune. One of them was Lou Rawls. And the other was Nancy Wilson oh. doing Save Your Love. She's gone now, but we got an album called RSVP. I think you're familiar with it. Yeah. And we loved some of the tunes. It just seemed to be about us. You know, an older man is huh. like an elegant wine. And what was the other song? Um, I Wish I Met You, which is a really interesting song. Because we met later in life, a few years into the choir, so sometimes uh, Darlene would be right there uh, writing the vocal score while I was working on the um, band part, and we'd help each other there. And then we started co-writing. Well, we did co-write for the choir, and then we started... I had been had a bunch of songs I was kind of working on, and 
you heard them and then we decided, oh, we should maybe, our, a lot of our styles are similar. Or we love the the lush chords and yeah, we just connected on style wise as well and, and uh, what we like and sound and um, we started writing together as well. Yeah, and you got two original compositions on your album surrounded by the other standards that are on it, right? Recorded on that piano right there. Just about a 1910 Willis Grand. It sounds good, although I'm starting to think that it's days are numbered because it's 100 and 111 years, years old. And my tuner is starting to say, I don't know if you want to put put a lot of, of money into this anymore. It's, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a point where it doesn't make sense for any instrument, right? Once it reaches a certain point. It's sad, though, because, you know, there are cellos and basses and violins that are hundreds of years old. Yeah. That's already about a four-year spread, maybe longer, depending on when you actually produced on the outside. But yeah. mm-hmm. if you think about now where you're at in life and in music, both of you as individuals or together, versus when you made and released on the outside, what are the biggest differences? Mm, we're married. <laughs> yeah, that's one for sure. <laughs> that's a big one. <laughs> All those songs from on the outside were from about 2016 to 2017. There was a lot of upheaval going on in both our lives. I think we're on the other side of that now. And this this uh, album <laughs> probably couldn't have been done without the the uh, help of COVID. Huh. Because we've been always, speaking for myself anyway, so busy being um, professional musicians that... Uh, you know, we, we've never had this kind of time to do our own thing. We've been working as producers or sidemen on other people's projects, uh, which is also a good thing to do. But um, thank you, COVID, for all of a sudden giving us time to finish this record. Huh. Yeah, we probably wouldn't have done this record. I don't know if it, it sort of evolved through COVID, That having that time. We did some writing, began to write some more tunes uh and then we were listening to we've got this great selection of vinyl and we started listening and listening to the masters and and for practice um we would go through the the fake book and we would just oh let's take a look at some of these songs just sight read through some stuff and learn some and there they caught our attention and i think it was like we could do a duo album of jazz standards so so that kind of evolved and then out came the album and we had time to be able to work on our style and and what to you know even for me vocally to do some different things than I've done before so it was a really great chance to kind of focus on a different side of us creatively I think we've yeah we're kind of stepping out and we want to learn still you know we're not not retired but we don't want to retire you know it's like no, it's it's. This is something we want to do forever. We were very um, one of the people that inspired us was Eleanor Collins, the jazz uh, singer from Vancouver. Wonderful. Um, she's over a hundred now, huh, and we wow. heard her when she was ninety five, and she sang "Here's to Life," and that's why we actually have it on the album. After hearing her, we were so inspired by her, um, and I thought she can sing that, you know, here's somebody at 95 still say, I still want to be, you know, I want to sing till I drop and he wants to play till he drops. And we want to keep learning and growing. And I think that's part of what 
coming together, you know, um, in these last number of years that uh, we've dreamed together and uh, learned together, listen to the new thing, listen to, you know, Jacob Collier and, and all some of the new theory and because we're both theory geek, geeks as well. Yeah. And you've been on that for a while, actually. That is a constant thing that you've carried because even with On the Outside, it does kind of have a little bit of that, like, snarky puffy energy sort of like the idea of what contemporary sounds are the best that you can draw into what you do right and still have it make sense as like a jazz related music yeah i, don't yeah. Know. I like the way that you did that too yeah so we want to keep evolving keep uh yeah you know keep growing keep changing and uh keep and- discovering new new artists new bands who haven't we mentioned there's a great band out of la called knower yeah. Then there's that band from Sweden, Dirty Loops. Yeah. Who were here. That's Whoa. why we heard those them as well. Yeah. Just ridiculous, actually. Yeah. Chops. That bass player. Well, all of them have amazing chops. I love this attitude. It's it's really inspiring to have it coming from you guys. And I think anybody who listens to the album or who sees you live will will pick it up too. I think that's a wonderful thing that you're bringing to the table here. I wanted to ask Bill a couple things. And one of them is like, because you've been a professional musician at such a high level for so many decades, like I'm curious, what are the things that have always kept you going and what have you relied on the most? Gee, I don't, I'm not exactly sure where to start. Music has always been uh, not just a, a business for me. It's, it's a true love. And then just stepping back a few, a few steps, I, I always, uh, my, my favorite thing to do in, in uh, music is to write and record. That is just about my favorite thing to do. It's right up there with eating. <laughs> <laughs> so when I'm uh, in the studio and stuff is going really, really well, I get goosebumps. And, and they're really, really noticeable. And um, it just means something great just happened. And I I've started to actually listen to my goosebumps and take their advice, you know? So uh, quite often that's the deciding factor on it. Was that a good take? Well, yeah, I got goosebumps at the end and now I'm listening back to it and look at my arms. They're just <laughs> yeah, fully right. bumped out. <laughs> yeah, <that's right. laughs> I don't know. Is Can there anything, I speak anything? a little bit to what I've, you know, cause sometimes it's hard to see for yourself, but I think what I noticed about Bill after I met him immediately was how he'd been in the business for so long, but still had the passion for it. Mm -hmm. Uh, He loves the music. Music is, it's all, it's in him, it's around, it's part of who he is. He he responds to music and he responds to the heart and soul. He puts his heart and soul in it. He plays with that as well. So he hears that, he experiences that in the moment, but he also plays in that way as well he plays all out he plays with with a passion and and that's always first yeah and the goosebumps are a physical example yeah thanks dar (laughs) (laughs) teamwork on that one yeah (laughs) so that goosebumps feeling even if it wasn't a literal physical sensation every time that's something that you've carried with you the whole way and that's kept you going fair to say absolutely nice for the longest time i've thought you know there are players who have to shine they're the great soloists in in a group and then there's players that have to hold down the fort like the 
the bottom end, the bass and drums in particular. And that also happens on a, on a good hockey team, right? You've got a guy in net, you've got a defensive forward, you've got a defenseman. I'm a huge hockey freak. Case Me too. Know. I'm a Leafs fan, so I'm yeah, <laughs> oh. not doing great these days. Won't hold that against you. <laughs> but uh, at a certain point in my career, uh, I was playing a lot of shows with David Foster. Yeah. Part of the weekend would be there was a huge concert, and there'd be some of his famous friends we would get to play with, which was always great. And then on the Saturday, there would be a softball tournament just for fun. It was kind of Canada versus the USA. And since most of these big stars were coming up from the from the States, David would put a, a baseball team together out of famous hockey players. And so every year it would be Gretzky, Messier, uh, the great Oilers, um, the Courtnold brothers, uh, Russ and Jeff. And I got to meet all these guys. And uh, w- with the exception of Wayne, who was... I would say shy. They took to the band like we did to the the stars, right? Uh, it was the greatest time, and I got to explain my metaphor to Wayne, or sorry, to um, Mark Messier. And it happened in a really funny way. I was writing a chart, and I was writing, you know, DSs and codas and all this stuff. And Messier comes up behind me, and he's looking, and he says, "What's that? The power play?" <laughs> <laughs> And I and then I told him about my metaphor about a hockey team is like a band, and he got it. That's there's so much that that anybody um, my age or any musician's age really can learn just from hearing you talk about things like that. And I know that like Darlene and I, we both want to learn a lot of things too all the time. One place where that's led us both is this community called JazzFuel.com, and so I wanted to ask Darlene, like, how would you describe what you've brought to this album project from what you've learned there? Yeah, I mean, I uh, when it comes to promotion and marketing and those kinds of things, that that's probably an area that both of us feel a little, we don't enjoy that side of things. <laughs> it's hard for us to do that. And with technology, there's, you know, there's a new way of doing things. Music has changed now. So I found uh, that Jazz Fuel has been really great, particularly for the older ones. The the learning of this technology and social media and posting and and all these things, um, it's a big learn, you know, for us. So uh, Jazz Fuel has been great. Uh, Matt has uh, many different uh, videos and um, courses on using things like Bandcamp. So we'd never been on Bandcamp until I joined Jazz Fuel. And I went through that course and we joined Bandcamp. And then a week later, somebody found our music and a DJ and played it on his program and uh, his radio program. And he's been playing it ever since. So seeing that these kinds of communities are really are useful and, and a good place for people to find music, things like Spotify. So he, uh, you know, that, the whole site has been a great resource as well as connecting with other artists who are working through these things, putting out new albums. How do you put out a new release? How do you do that? Um, they've really helped us step-by-step step along the way and um, how to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. And for specific things around the release of you and I, you decided to put out two singles in advance of the album and 
you've hired the jazz music publicist in Canada to work with you. So these things that are also reflections of what you've been checking out online and figuring out what to do next. That's how you've put some of these bricks together for your release campaign. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, for sure. And Matt Fripp from uh, Jazzville has been really great in in advising and helping um, lay out things and give ideas and give suggestions. So that's been great because we felt like it's you're sort of in the dark, I, I think, in doing that. And artists, it's not their strong point. Their, their strong point is the music, <laughs> making music, creating music, but that other side of things. Um, and because it's changed so much, um, it's a whole new learning uh, curve. Yeah. You can learn what the things are that most people are doing from a community like that because you have people to talk to who are like, maybe they've done it more often than you have, but like they're trying to do the same thing that you are just with their own project or in their own part of the world or their own thing. So it's like everybody's trying to do the same things and we're all helping each other do it. That's what I thought was really cool about it. Yes, it's yeah. really great. You feel like you have support. You feel like you're not alone um, in trying to figure this all out. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where like 20 or 30 years ago, if you didn't live in the right place, you would never have access to like that knowledge or that kind of system of people who are doing stuff and you can watch them. Yeah, well, that's right. Yeah. So you have connections around the world with this. Yeah. Really great. Is there something like that, like some kind of community or like network that got you Darlene to switch more fully into being a performer or what was it that actually helped you make that jump when you did I mean I had been doing a lot of teaching that was my um focus for a number of years when I was bringing up children and and so I you know taught piano uh, from home and then I started teaching at this college then uh, created a music program there. So I was very focused because I was directing a music program, so it was very much a lot of admin. <laughs> I, I love the teaching part, but there was a lot of admin as well that, you know, running a music program. And I got to a point where I felt like I needed an outlet myself for some of my own creativity. I needed to get creative again. It's easy to pour yourself into others, and I love doing that. But I also needed some creativity myself. So I st started to write. And one of the uh, instructors who was doing the recording and pr uh, production classes approached me and asked me, he said, you know, you should, do a, you should consider doing a CD. I started thinking about it and I decided that, yeah, it was time for me to do something more creative myself and begin to uh, move more in that direction, and uh, that I needed that outlet. So I think uh, joining the choir connected me to uh, some other musicians like Bill and Marcus, and then, of course, I met Renee and Randall and Buff. You know, we started meeting some people, and then I did the CD release concert at uh, the Cellar, on the, I guess that was the first one I did. And I used um, Bill played there, Vince Mai played. You know, they had a whole band from the community. So meeting people and then starting to get out and actually doing it again, I think, uh, yeah, stirred that desire <laughs> to get back out there. And I loved it. And I realized, yeah, I need to be out here. I, I, I love connecting with people. I love 
being creative again, that uh, I'd given a lot of years to the teaching side, and I still like to do that. I still like doing workshops of the odd course, but um, the writing now has become much more so like I have to do it and and the performing um, I love to do that I love to I love to sing and I and uh, make great music with great musicians <laughs> yeah so what was that album uh, it was called Soul Connections yeah yeah and uh, so it was a variety some there were some uh, covers and some original it had some of the gospel it was sort of a mixture of my past and moving through to the present kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, one of the um, songs was written by a lady named Danny Bell Hall, who was a gospel singer back in the day who I, she was sort of the one I kind of used as my vocal, you know, mentor, even, you know, I didn't know her personally, although I did meet her, but uh, her and there was Andre Crouch. They were sort of the big uh, gospel musicians that in during my teens and I followed them. Yeah. And Bill, were you coming in for that project strictly to play or were you also involved in the arrangements, the compositions? or Strictly to play. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hired gun. Yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> yeah. But now you have your own thing worked out where you, you co-wrote these two songs and you arranged this whole album and it's just you two playing on it. So it's like really, you've you've had to figure something out about how to collaborate well, right? And I mean, this is something I will never know because I am married, but not to a professional musician. So what are the things that you figured out about how to collaborate well? We are both really gentle with each other and generous, you know, so we don't hang on to uh, an idea. You don't get stuck on an idea. Yeah. yeah. I think we, no, made... we, we let go. Uh, we're always looking for what's the best, what's the best thing. And we quite often... Um, well, I've tried writing with other people and that's not there. Sometimes they get too stubborn or they get too attached to their own thing. That's what you mean? Absolutely. So you have to know when to let go of a thing. And, and occasionally we hang on because we know it's good. It's, that's, what, that's what I meant, you know. So I can't change that line. But we're, we're, we're pretty good about backing away from stuff that doesn't work. Sometimes we start a song, it starts to sound like early eagles. We're going... <laughs> That's not right. <laughs> and by the end, it's more like a, a, a funk groove or something. <laughs> we do like the Eagles. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I think, yeah, the mutual respect is a big thing. We, we mutually respect each other's gifts and hold them highly, you know. And, um, and we, I remember we made a decision when we were starting to write together that no judgment. So when someone brings an idea, like we don't, there's no mocking, there's no, you know, <laughs> no oh, laugh. that's stupid. You know, or, <laughs> you know, it's, it's about, it's, there's no judgment, bring any idea and it just like, let it, let the brainstorm go. And even if it sounds crazy, like we got to get through the brainstorm until we find the gold, right? <laughs> yeah. There's an interesting wrinkle there that I think you're doing a good job of dealing with, but I think that's a one of the big challenges for everybody and you really are showing this because the first thing that you mentioned about how you collaborate well is that you don't get too attached and you figure out how to let things go and you've also said that respecting each other's ideas is super important but it's like 
the interesting wrinkle there is like respecting the other person's idea. It doesn't always just mean like deference to their idea. It means that you can kind of call out things that you think would be better for, for both of you. And that's, that's really hard to like nail that. Finding a, a person to write with that is so tuned in to you. We sometimes say the same thing at the exact same time, exact same words. And sometimes I don't hear her because she said it at the exact same time as me. And I thought I said it, but she said it too. (laughs) Yeah, that is a special thing to make that kind of environment where you can like say, how about this instead? And for the other person to not feel like they have to be defensive about it. Yeah. I mean, I haven't co-written with that many people too. And I'm not saying that I've been in one situation or another where that happened a lot, but like that's something I've always been kind of wondering about and i haven't figured out how to like optimize for dealing with that yet so it's it's great to hear about people who figure out ways to deal with it i'm wondering if some of it comes from our background as teachers i was a teacher Mm -hmm. as well composition and piano and working with young composers or maybe really early in their time as a composer we're having to deal with unfinished thoughts and unfinished ideas all the time and being a teacher you want to be as gentle as possible not kind of uh Mm -hmm. come down on them but rather say yes you could also say it this way so i don't know because i think we're both aware we both have taught songwriting and one of the things we do teach is don't stop the ideas don't allow yourself critical too soon yeah that's right it's to let the ideas out and keep you know the first stage of writing is get it all down the second stage is have a look at it and start polishing but the first stage most people don't do because they're so anxious to get mm-hmm. to the detail they start editing right away and and you, and you can't yeah and that that could apply to every stage you know that could be how you treat the mix or the final master or the publicity or anything i guess that's scary (laughs) (laughs) i like to think that my job is done when the thing is mastered (laughs) ah yes that's what you're saying (laughs) the the musician is most comfortable having that kind of scope right yeah 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 it's like we built it it's done yeah yeah and now no one's going to hear it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or like your, if your role ends when you leave the studio, like that's luxury there, right? Because then somebody else has got to gotta do deal with the post, yeah. So what on this album release would success mean to you? Well, it'd be nice to have some, some ears listen to it. That's the hardest part about what we do is actually getting anyone to listen to it. This time we've hired a publicist. Yeah, I think getting some airplay um wouldn't that be lovely what i think what we'd like to do is and we we have a certain fan base but we'd like to get it beyond that you know um introduce it to other new listeners and so i think that would be a success uh full if we can get it out and have uh expand you know our listening audience i suppose i'm feeling a, a certain feeling of success already at having done this album at home. Yeah. With our microphones and our piano and Darlene's lovely voice. And I got to accompany her on every song. 
And then we had to make some decisions about, should we put a little little keyboard on here and there, a little bass here and there. We did it all ourselves, and in my opinion, it turned out really well. I had to eventually bail on the mix. I tried mixing it seven times, and I, uh, I was just finding I, I'm missing a few pieces here, like the how to use a compressor and how to use limiters and all that stuff. So we got the very, very phenomenal ears of Miles Hill involved, and um, he mixed it and mastered it. But I still feel we did it here in this room. We're sitting right now with that piano, as cranky as it can be sometimes, you know, <laughs> it's it's not a perfect record. There's the occasional thing that got by, like like we were talking earlier about pedal clunks. And there's one note, I'm not going to mention which one, tends to go out of tune every so often. I <laughs> tried to catch it as often as possible, but if anybody notices it, I'm sorry. <laughs> and there's a few more, there's a few, like, we left in the noises of the, like even my mouth, you know, <laughs> and the breathing and the, the, you know, a lot of times they take those kind of things out, but we felt that we wanted to, to feel, to be a very intimate, a personal, like people are right there. They hear every aspect of it. And uh, so I, I think in that way, we feel like it was a good representation of just, yeah, a little bit of our heart and soul, you know? Yeah. And how... Will you know when it's time to do something like this again, like another album? And would you want to do it here again, but in a different way or build on what you've done here? Would you really want to go back into the studio? How would you think about what would come next? I think we're both thinking the same way here. Uh, We've got another Wild Blue Herons record, studio record, written. And I think that we would do it similar to the first record with maybe one distinction which is we would do all the pre-production here using mostly logic and maybe we would do some of the piano here but i i think it, it would be time to go into the studio again but then this time i can do most of the editing myself i couldn't do that um before covid i i didn't actually use audio a lot i used midi a lot and now i'm using pretty much all audio and loving editing it's just it's magic. I just love it. I know I'm not supposed to love it, but <laughs> it, it frees you up so much that you can go in. Like, like here's an example. I play a four-bar intro, and something wrong happens in bar three. So I'll just go grab that bar again and slide it in, and now I know how to do it so it's seamless. That's something I, I would have never tried in my previous years. Mm-hmm. This is new. This is, mm-hmm. you know, we finally got some decent microphones and, and a decent uh, audio mm-hmm. interface. And Piano is the weak link, I'd say. The other <laughs> thing that's interesting about this particular album, because we did it at home, we didn't have all the extra costs, then we decided to make uh, a vinyl, uh, you know, to put it out in vinyl, which would be in the spring. So, yeah, that's another thing that was sort of unique about this one. That's right. We noticed, too, that uh, we were super relaxed because there was no time there's we're not renting a studio we're in our own home we can take as long as we want to finish this record and we did whereas uh, there's that feeling when you're in somebody else's studio you're paying x amount of dollars per hour or per day and we like to work in pretty good studios um 
What I've been doing the last many, many records is recording the beds in a room with a, you know, with really good microphones and some, and a lot of air. And then taking all of those beds uh, to a smaller production studio. I haven't been bringing them home. Cause, you know, I don't consider myself a production studio. I can do a few things. But we, we would go to Bill Buckingham. Do you know Bill? Yeah, he he actually mixed a live gig, I think, from one of my friends named Jessica Heaven and her friend, the bass player, Jake McIntyre-Paul, that they played. And they put that out as an album on her band camp, and it sounds really good. But yeah, I've, I've never met him, but I'm familiar with what he's done over the years a little bit. He's fantastic. And before, um, yeah, I guess that's that's where I would go before coming out to Miles Hill studio. I, I know Miles as a bass player, extraordinaire, right? I, I hired him whenever I could. And he played with Leon Bibb on many, many projects and all the records. Renee was also on some of those Leon Bibb things. But um, Miles is probably partly responsible for us coming out to Port Moody because his studio is literally over there, a thousand yards or something. And it was a fantastic recording space. The Probably the best headphone mix I've ever heard. Sorry to say all you other studios listening oh. to this. <laughs> and then um, uh, we started looking for a place to live and here we are in Port Moody. Yeah, I think it wraps up really nicely. I mean, it's so cool that you've delivered this kind of very personal project and there's there's nobody who has summed that up better than Nancy Wilson, appropriately enough, because you've referenced the album that is a thing that people should go and listen to to get inspired the same way you did, and it's called RSVP, but it's actually an acronym and it's not for responding to an event. It stands for Rare Songs, Very Personal, and that's what you have achieved here. So congratulations to both of you on that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. That's great. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Rhythm Changes podcast. If you haven't followed the feed yet, make sure you do. And think about your friends who might enjoy listening too. Tell them to search for the Rhythm Changes podcast wherever they get their podcasts. Link them to our website, rhythmchanges.ca, Facebook at Chernoff Music, or Instagram and Twitter at Rhythm Changes BC. The Rhythm Changes podcast is a Chernoff Music production. (laughs) 